Okay, a question. And I want you to think about this uh, in answering uh, the quintessential question. Well, I want the quintessential answer. What is worship? What is worship? Have a think about it. Uh, and for, uh, throw a few things out. We want to get to not just the peripheries. What is worship? Praising God. Thank you, Emma. Thinking about God all the time. Thinking about God all the time. Speaking to God every time. Giving God, giving Him glory. Okay, that that all elements of worship they are. They are, Graham. Okay, what did you say, Naomi? Living for him? Yes, and I think, look, we're getting there. Okay, okay. They're all expressions of worship. Worship at its heart, the quintessential definition of worship is... Well, God, I want to give it to you. Would you just get it up for us, please, Naomi? The next slide. Can you see it? Can you read that? The quintessential definition of worship. I know we fill it out with everything else. Uh, and look, singing songs to God and raising our hands is a, it's an, it's a brilliant expression of worship. But it is merely an expression of worship. Because worship at its heart is homage to God. Or in other words, in simple words, worship is simply in his most perfect form, bowing to God. That all part of it, Stephanie, but at the heart of worship is bowing to God. And that's not just, look, anybody can bow. Look, I've just done that to, to Ricky. Hi, Ricky. There you go. It means nothing. God just did it in jest. Okay? The, True worship is the bowing of our hearts and lives to God. And I want us to keep that in perspective as we walk through this message now. That the quintessential definition of worship is to do homage to God or to bow before Him. You've got to keep that in mind. And your brains have got to be better than mine here, which means you've got to remember that for more than two minutes. Okay, so do your best. Okay, so we're going to start. We've already had, as I said earlier, be joyful always, pray continually. We have a triad here. There's lots of these triads through Scripture. This is a brilliant one. The third one is to give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances. And that's going to be our heading as we look at this. I think I mentioned uh, in, in this mini-series a couple of weeks back, the first one, that in my first church uh, where I was converted, uh, there, was, there was an emphasis on prayer and an emphasis on, on giving thanks in all circumstances. And it was a bit trivial. Whatever would happen, we'd always say, praise the Lord anyway. And, and, that's, we, and, and we kind of learned to do that in our youth group. Whatever would happen... And we'd joke about it with each other. You know, you get kicked in the legs. Somebody will come and punch you. It's the kind of stuff we did in our youth group at church. I still have the bruise. 
Okay? Uh, and, then, and the response was to be, praise the Lord anyway. And so we'd wind each other up, you see, just to get this response. Praise the Lord anyway. Troy, Brenton, you sit there, Nikki, you've you got full permission to launch yourself at Brenton. And we want to see you praising the Lord, okay? I shouldn't have said that to Nikki, because of the, of the one person in this room, she's the one who's most likely to do it, yeah? Uh, look, that's in some sense trivializes what Paul is saying here. Yeah, we are to praise the Lord in every circumstance, and we're going to see that. But it's not just the response of our lips. It's got to be the response of our hearts. You see, he's writing to a group of Christians in Thessalonica, and here's a quiz, just a test how we've been listening the last couple of weeks. Somebody, if you can remember, what's some of the context of Thessalonica? So the scenario that Paul is writing into. What kind of experiences is this church facing? Can anyone remember any of those? Yeah, you haven't been listening, have you? Who can remember? I mean, especially with an accent like that, who can remember? Okay, I'll give you some. This was a church. This was a church that faced persecution. Yeah, that's not just someone calling you names. That's losing jobs, being ostracized in the community, sidelined, confiscation of property, endangerment to life. I mean, they've been through some tough things. Anything else? Uh, remember, these are, um, Paul tells them that those who've gone ahead of them, they're going to see this is a church facing bereavement, possibly on a, on a large Scale. This is a church that's uncertain about their future, what that looks like, about the return of Jesus, if it's really going to happen, if it's already happened. This is a church in great difficulty in many, many ways. And here's what Paul writes to them. He says, I want you, Thessalonican Christians, I want you to give thanks in all circumstances. I mean, that's a big ask. You know, jesting aside, you know, you know, this is a serious thing, isn't it? This is a big deal. To, 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 look, you turn up to a hospital and you've got poor Jack just gone through cancer treatment. And you sit at his bedside table and, and you, you obviously want to bring him some comfort. I mean, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, would you? You wouldn't, would you? You just wouldn't say to him, Give thanks, Jack! I mean... <laughs> You just wouldn't do that, would you? Paul does that. Paul would do that. If you were in hospital, recovering from cancer, whether you're recovering or not. And, and, and so we want to ask is, has Paul <laughs> taken leave of his senses? No, he hasn't, has he? What is Paul envisaging? How can he instruct a, a, a church, a, a fledgling church, to be giving thanks in some of the most dire conditions that we could face. And I want us to look at that. And look, here's where some of the thinking must lie. The thing about Paul is, and the great thing about Paul, is that he wrote a lot. Much of the New Testament consists of his work, his, 
inverted speech marks. And, and so, so whenever we want to try and get a handle on Paul, just go and see what he wrote elsewhere. We do that with each other, don't we? When we try to understand each other, you know, we ask, you know, you know, you know, is this the kind of thing this guy says a lot? Hey, Lee, he might be wearing a, a mask. I can tell when you're yawning, mate. <laughs> I know. I, I find myself boring as well. <laughs> Kidding. You see, I, I can still see what you're doing. That's, 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 is that tasty? That's sweet there you're having there? Yeah, of course it is. Yeah, yeah. Now, look, Paul, we can learn a lot about Paul from what he wrote elsewhere. This is what he wrote to the Romans. Romans 8, 28 is a well-known verse. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Can you see what that is throwing into the mix? Here's a church and he's telling them, instructing them to be to give thanks. It's a, it's a proactive thing in their circumstances, in every circumstance. And he writes to another church these words that we know in God that in all things God works for the good of those that love him. Can you see some of Paul's rationale about the things we face? What is his rationale? We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. What's Paul's, what does Paul think about the circumstances we face, good and bad? He believes that God is ultimately in control. Paul believes that. I was talking to a, a lovely couple that I meet with one, once a month. And she's having a conversation last week. Uh, and, and, and we got on to, you know, is God in control? And they weren't convinced. They couldn't believe that God is in control in COVID. Paul believes, if you were here today, God is in control in COVID. God is in control of all circumstances. Paul is convinced that God's jurisdiction of authority extends beyond the willingness of those he has created. I know we we can imagine, can't we, that I am so much in control of my life and destiny that God has no say until I say I mean, that, that's how the world functions, isn't it? Uh, and in order to, to, to put that marker in the ground, they, they'll put up all kinds of opposition. I do not believe in God. So here's the thing. Here's the logic. I do not believe in God. Therefore, God does not exist and has no control over my life. Can you see the logic? What is, what is flawed about that logic? Here's the logic. I do not believe in God. Therefore, God does not exist and has no jurisdiction in my life. Where is the flaw in that logic? Thank you, Sid. Yeah, that is it. I'll give you an example of that. Okay. I do not believe in trucks. Okay? So, on Monday morning at 9am, you may have to come, Sid, because I may need your help here. Monday morning at 9am, after I've dropped my kids off at school, I'm going to stand in the middle of Grand Junction Road because I don't believe in trucks. Can you, can you see the point here? What I believe has zero impact on objective reality. You know, if I was buying uh, 
an orthopedic pillow of Graham. It sounds picture here, Graham. Okay? Okay? And then Graham says that's $25. And I, my response was, I don't believe in transaction of money. But what would his response be to me? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Fine. Don't come here again, you. That is, that, that's the point. Thank you. The thing about God's sovereignty is it's not determined by what I believe. It's determined by reality. And what Paul wants us to know is this reality that God has jurisdiction over every element of life. There is no area where he is not in control. Which means, and here's a reality, that there is nothing random about your life. Absolutely nothing. From what you wore today, to where you're sitting, to what you will do later, to the plans that you have, to what's going to occur in your life. 7.25 hours from this moment. That is not by chance. God is, ne- you know, God is never surprised. Never, ever surprised. And so Paul's point is this, because God is never surprised, because nothing is ever hidden from him, that there is nothing that he is not in some part a part of. You can give thanks in all circumstances. And that's his logic. And there's more to it. Romans 5 again, where he wrote to the Romans there. Listen to this. Not only so, but we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. Character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by his Holy Spirit. Can you see in God's sovereignty... If God's in control, the first question we ought to ask, if we've got any sense about us, okay, God, if you're in control, then why? 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 Yeah? Because in some way, if God is outside of, if he's not in control, some of those questions aren't pertinent. You know, we don't ask God why. and We, you know, we, we don't challenge him. But if he is in control, Why? Why? Surely that's the number one question, isn't it? If God really is in control, then why COVID? Why the fall? And listen to Paul, who's grappled with these things, who's heard from God. Remember, he had personal encounters with God. God spoke to him, revealed truths to him. And Paul wants us to know that God willfully chooses to bring challenges and difficulties into our hearts and lives because he uses them to shape and to mould and to direct and to steer the lives of believers. That's what Paul says. That God willingly is involved in suffering struggles, difficulties and challenges because he uses them. He he masters them. He manipulates them. He takes advantage of them to make them bring something of good 
for us. Here's what he says in Romans 11, and, and this is what we have to bear in mind when we're dealing with God. It's remember who we're dealing with. All oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgment and his paths. What does he say about God's ways? And he, I think we have to remember this. What does Paul say about God's ways? They are beyond tracing out. I, I, I was a bit of a fan of snooker. Now, snooker's not that big in Australia, is it? Yes, it is. Is it? There we go. Okay? Stephanie plays. Yeah? Uh, look, snooker, and we had a famous snooker player in Britain. I still say we. I'm not there anymore. But Okay, when we were there. Okay. Steve Davis. If you know anything about Sco- Steve Davis, look, Emma would know Steve Davis. Okay. And Steve Davis won many world championships, but he wasn't the best player to watch because he was really boring. He, he was so predictable. You know, think about God. Okay. He's the most unpredictable being in the universe you can't figure him out you can't second guess him he may have followed a, a sequential pattern in your life when your life you can see a bit of a structure he went one two three four and you're thinking the next number is five the next place you're going to land up is there the next thing that's going to come your way is that because you can see a pattern and he out of the blue throws you a ten he does that he does that. He breaks down all sequential measurements. And not because he's having a bad day, but because his ways are beyond tracing. Look, here's the thing. I believe this. I believe God is a loving, welcoming, generous, gracious God. He is. He is the only deity. You look through the annals of historical writings. He is the only deity who is entitled. Not just an attribute of his. He is entitled. He is. God is. 1 John 4. What is it? Yes. God is love. He is that. But we have to remember that he's a transcendent being. Look, I'm sorry, I'm throwing terms here. What does that mean? He partly means that. It does. Thank you, Lee. Good one. There's a bit more to it. A transcendent being. Pardon, Bron? That's it. The quintessential meaning of transcendent. He's everywhere, but the quintessential meaning is he's above and beyond. Therefore, God, the thing about God is, He's above and beyond my intellect. <laughs> okay, I'm laughing because I know you're going to laugh. <laughs> See? Okay? He's above and beyond my intellect. He's above and beyond Richard Dawkins' intellect. Okay? He's above and beyond every intelligence out there. No one can comprehend him fully. No one can second guess him. No one has mastered him. 
No one has conquered him. And the thing about God is he's he's this transcendent being. And when we relate to him, when we receive his wisdom, it always has to be bowing to a higher, to the highest source of wisdom and authority there is. Isaiah 55.9 As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Christian, if you're anything like me, you want to know everything. You want every question answered. If I go on a course, I'm the guy who's always got his hand up. Okay? Because he wants to know the next thing. Right? When it comes to God, the Montazes of this world have to just sit in class, keep their hands beside them, and allow God to be God. You see, He has our destiny in His hand, He has a purpose for our lives. He's working, and this is what gives me so much solace in life is that God is working to a blueprint. He's not just making it up. And he doesn't change his mind. No matter what you do, what occurs, God never alters his plans for your life. Do you get that? That God's A plan for your life always carries. Because he's ahead of us. He's always a step ahead of us. He's already calculated every every diversion we encounter, every struggle, every difficulty. And so the only response to God is to worship him. Do homage to him, to bow before him, to acknowledge him as God. That's what it means to give thanks in all circumstances. It's to take into consideration the good and the bad. Thanks, Lee. It's not just to give thanks to the great things. I'm pulling a part of the seams here, is to give thanks in every circumstance. In every circumstance. Here's what Holmes, the commentator, writes. Both rejoicing and giving thanks become forms of worship or praise of God. How do I worship God? Yes, I, I, I can worship him and I do worship him when I lift my hands. Oh, I don't do that a lot. I do when I'm not with you. Okay? And sing praise songs to God. But the, the most definitive form of my worship to God is to give thanks in all circumstances. Because we realize that whether it's good, bad, or ugly, or complex, God is a work in my life.
Here's what Leon Morris writes, Leon Morris. It may not be easy to see the bright side of a particular trial, but if God is over all, then his hand is in all that trial. His own cannot be his own cannot but recognize his goodness and make their thanksgiving. Which means we acknowledge that whether a fall, a disappointment, a bereavement, a complexity, a challenge, we see that God is over all. His hand is in the trial and therefore we cannot but recognise his goodness resulting in thanksgiving. Some time back I read a book. uh, I've not found many books about missionaries to Bangladesh. I found this one called Dacta. I think there's a picture of it here. It's called Dacta because that's the pronunciation of Bangladeshi people, of a doctor. Uh, And this is an American missionary, Viggo Olsen. Um, He went out there to serve Bangladeshi people. Uh, And he writes about a fellow missionary whose daughter got incredibly ill, young daughter. And because of the lack of medical equipment and medical practices... His daughter died out in Bangladesh whilst he was out serving Jesus in the gospel. What was the net result of that? The doctor continued in missionary work because God had called him. And his life and his work became such an example to supporters around the world, that he fired up a whole load of other men and women to do mission in Bangladesh. And today, and as a result of that, when, when Olsen was out there as a doctor, it had incredible, for, for the context of the situation, incredible medical facilities to be able to treat people with those and other illnesses. One of the things that doctor said who lost his daughter, he quotes these incredible words, and it's impossible to believe someone could say this, but the loss of his daughter on the mission fields, when asked how he felt, his response was Mark 7.37. This is said about Jesus. He hath done all things well. God never makes a mistake. And he has a good purpose, whatever may be occurring. You see, Romans 8.32 goes on to say, 28 says he's involved in all things. 32 tells us, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? The point is, if God, if God did that to his son, for us, if he put him through that for us, if that was the extent, if that was the level to which God would go for us, do that to the object of his highest affection, his own son, 
If he would do that much for us, if he would give up that much for us, if we mean that much to him, says Paul, how would he not also give you everything? Do you see the point? In trial, in difficulties, in challenges, in darknesses, for the Thessalonians, in persecution and bereavement and uncertainty, Paul says, look guys, look church, this isn't an expression of God's disinterest in you, but it's an expression of his loving care over you. So therefore, whatever the circumstance, whatever it is you're facing, whether or not we can see where this is going, the thing about me is, if I know something's going somewhere, then I can, I can happily rejoice in that because I can see the end. But what Paul's point is, whether we can see the end or not, whether we know where this is going, whether we understand how this is going to be good, whether we, we, can, we can predict the outcome, whatever the situation, says Paul, we give thanks. Because God is in, God is in control here. God is at work here. God is bringing about his Great and good will for us. And if the cross tells us anything, it tells me that there is nothing of bad that God will ever bring my way other than something that will ultimately and finally bring about his good purposes. Hey, Christian. Said, Look, this is easy for me to say. I haven't fallen recently and broken my hip. But I have to say it. God is involved in that. God was right there then. God was loving you fully at that moment and therefore however perplexing confusing painful and difficult we give thanks because God loves us and is at work I don't get it now but he is give thanks in all circumstances. Christian, God's will for us in 2021, in COVID, amidst whatever we're facing, is to, three things, three things, be joyful, always. Rejoice, always. Don't smile every moment, okay? Even I don't do that. But feel the joy of sins forgiven. Peace with God. Hope of heaven. Let that, let that just, just, just soften the blow of whatever you face in life. Pray continually. Never stop praying. Don't go silent on God. Don't give him the silent treatment. He reads your thoughts anyway. Okay? Keep being engaged with him. Stay in that place of... Being in the Spirit. Not just on the Lord's Day. 
Don't just be filled with God's Spirit today. But tomorrow morning, when you turn up to that office, and, and it's just not going to be pretty. And finally, give thanks. Lord, I thank you. That your loving grace is a word. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus.